What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Grabs Podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what we do here. But in case you stumbled in or this is the first one you're hearing, our goal here is incredibly simple. It's to highlight our wins and learn as much as we can from actual fireground rescues in the hopes of making us all a little bit smarter, more effective, and more efficient. Our guest today is Joe Hoyam. He's a firefighter from the Sailor Township Fire Department that's right outside Des Moines in Iowa. And we're fortunate enough to hear his powerful story so that we can all learn from his experience. Thank you for coming on today, Joe. We really appreciate it, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, your experience, and then uh, at the end of that, your department as well? Sure, yeah. Um, so I joined the fire service uh, just shy of eight years ago um, as a volunteer. Uh, I actually started, um, this is a second career for me. I, I went to college um, and graduated uh, as a physical therapist assistant. Did that for several years, um, got on on Sailor Township as a volunteer, uh, and then was fortunate enough in 2018 um, to be given an opportunity to go full-time with one of our neighboring departments uh, over at Johnston Grimes Metropolitan Fire Department, uh, where I currently work as a firefighter paramedic. Um, a little bit about Sailor Township uh, Fire. So it's a relatively um, small fire department, like uh, a lot of fire departments you see in, in you know, the United States. We're a paid per call department. When I joined, we were uh, more volunteer, but we've moved to paid per call and actually have part-time staff members now as well. Um, we run out of one station and cover about 17 square miles um, between the city of Des Moines, uh, which is the capital of Iowa, and uh, one of the suburbs, Ankeny. Um, we run about 1,500 calls per year uh, and currently staff 24 uh, seven with just two people. Uh, on the date in question that we're gonna be talking about, we actually at that time, um, we're not staffed at night uh, at all. So all of our staffing would have been coming from home um, uh, at the uh, the date of the incident in question. Okay. Um, this one's maybe a little bit more, more nebulous, but what's the search culture like within uh, this department? So what I mean by that is like, who typically searches? Is it engine and truck? It sounds like we have one station here. Um, and when you send crews, I know we're, we're paid on call at the time, but how many people typically search at a, at a structure fire and where is that prioritized? So, you know, this is kind of a difficult, uh, question to answer, Nick. Um, again, being a paid per call department, um, we have a lot of similar struggles that, that other departments have with turnover and retention, um, on a first alarm assignment from, um, within Sailor Township's fire district, uh, we call for an engine, uh, a rescue engine, an ambulance, uh, and a tender, as well as a mutual aid engine from a full-time department uh, about six and a half miles away. Uh, so, you know, as far as um, who typically searches, it's really dependent on when resources get there and what resources we have av available. Uh, you know, we, out of out of the, the two engines, the tender and the ambulance, um, there are times uh, such as this incident where we were only able to, to roll uh, one apparatus. Uh, and then there's other times where we have, um, you know, the entire house is dumped and, and we're able to more, you know, better prioritize uh, search. So it, it really just depends on, uh, you know, what what resources we have available at that given time. That's totally understandable. And that's, you know, how the majority of the, the U.S. Fire Service operates too, right? So you're not alone there at all. Um, 
as much as I'm, I'm interested in the product, I, I think that oftentimes process drives the product. Uh, what I mean by that here and what I'm trying to get at is, is when it comes to search specifically, how often do you guys train on search? Is this something you guys do a lot or is this something that uh, we don't quite do uh, as much as we'd want to? So at this department um, with, at Sailor, uh, you know, we, we generally train on it a couple times a year. Um, but with that being said, many of our guys and gals uh, work full-time departments uh, where search um, is trained on at least quarterly, if not more at the company level. Um, I think as a, as a metropolitan area, most of our suburban departments take take search pretty seriously. So while we, we may not do it as much as we would, um, we would like to, uh, just based on, you know, the getting back to basics with, with new members and, and, you know, with the turnover that we have, uh, a, a pretty good core of our membership, uh, trains on it multiple times a year. I like that. I like, that's a good solid answer right there. Um, can you just kind of paint the picture of what happened? Tell us a little bit about the rescue. Uh, so what was the date? What was the time of day? Uh, what was it dispatched as? Anything else that you got in route that that changed some of the thought processes or or operations on scene? Yeah. So uh, the date was December tenth of twenty twenty two. So just shot or just over a year ago. Um, it was five thirty five a.m. Uh, the call came out as a residential fire assignment. Um, uh, initially, uh, the caller had told dispatch that the uh, the homeowner might be home. Um, but then the neighbor advised that the homeowner was supposed to actually be at a hotel a few miles away for her son's birthday, um, which sounded like pretty concrete information. Uh, the neighbor said that her son was was with the homeowner's son at this birthday party and, and you know, they were supposed to be staying at this hotel. Uh, initial um, caller information was that the house was fully engulfed. Um, this was further solidified when deputies arrived and, and were saying the same, giving, giving the same updates. Um, you know, the structure being fully, fully engulfed with, with flames. Uh, I was the, uh, the officer on engine 491 with Sailor Township's um, engine. We were second due, uh, approximately a minute behind um, the, the first engine, which was a mutual aid engine from Johnston Grimes. Um, a couple things to note. Uh, so on our engine uh, that morning, we had two captains and two lieutenants. Now this is kind of an oddity. Uh, we generally aren't staffed, um, you know, with that heavily with officers on an engine, uh, but being a paid on call response model, you know, we just, we, we take what we get. And, and this date, we just happen to have um, two lieutenants and, and two captains show up uh, for the call. So it's not necessarily unbelievable um, given our response model and time of day, but it is kind of an oddity. Um, another thing to note uh, is that the first two engines that were on scene uh, being our engine and Johnston Grimes engine. Um, we were the first two engines, but we were also the only uh, fire suppression apparatus that were on scene for about the first 25 minutes. Um, we were staffed with four and then Johnston Grimes engine was staffed with uh, three plus a rookie firefighter who was just doing some clearance calls um, while uh, just getting out of Academy. Okay. Uh, any other chiefs on scene? Yeah, so we we had um, our fire chief had uh, taken command probably about a minute and a half before our arrival, um, and then uh, right uh, within thirty seconds to a minute um, of our arrival, an assistant chief had arrived on scene and taken over operations. Okay, so we got IC, we got ops chief, and then we have eight pairs of boots on the ground. One of them being, you know, uh, uh, end of probationary firefighter. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Okay, so you got reports in route that. Nobody's in the structure. 
There's no cars in the driveway. When you show up, what do you guys see? What does it look like? Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, we're getting all these updates, um, both on the radio and the, uh, you know, our, our MDT uh, computer, it's saying, uh, you know, cars not in the driveway. It's saying that the, the homeowner is known to be at a hotel, um, you know, down, down the road. Uh, when we arrive, um, we arrive to a, it's a, a single story ranch with a walkout basement, um, walkouts on the Charlie side. Uh, and we have heavy fire through the roof um, on the Charlie Delta corner. Initially, my engine was uh, tasked with um, solidifying a water supply for the first two engine. Um, as we came down the street, we noticed that the uh, the hydrant was in pretty close proximity, 75, 100 feet of the rear of the first um, do engine. So at this point, I uh, yelled back to my lieutenant sitting behind me. I said, hey, grab the LDH, you know, pull, pull it to the hydrant. I looked at my engineer and said, um, you know, go ahead and, and hit the hydrant. Everybody else, let's grab tools and, and go. So we all met at the back of the rig. Um, my The lieutenant that pulled the LDH um, to the hydrant, he came over with uh, his tool and we immediately uh, started hoofing it over to uh, the command post, which was you know, 25, 30 feet away. Um, I remember walking up and, and asking command. I said, you know, hey, do you have anybody uh, on a primary, you know, uh, assigned to a primary yet? And he said, no. And I said, you know, do you want us to take that? And he, of course, gave us the the nod to go ahead and do that. Okay. Uh, so your primary, do you go in the, the, the alpha side door? Are you doing a 360? Where are you guys making entrance right here? Yeah. So, um, when we arrived on scene, we could see that there was heavy fire. Um, you know, what we call the alpha side. There was no front door. Um, there was a side door, uh, but that was uh, where the primary bulk of the fire was. So we could see the um, the delta side of the building. Um, we could see the alpha side. So I told my crew uh, after we we were given the the nod to go do search. Hey, let's come. Let's finish our our 360 and try to get a look at the Bravo Charlie side on our way in. Uh, so as we rounded the house, um, operations is already on the Charlie side. And one of the things that we noted was there was um, heavy fire on the Charlie side with a partial roof collapse already. Uh, and the other thing that we noted, um, you know, at this point in time, the the engine company is getting water on the fire from the exterior. They've got a two and a half uh, inch with a smooth bore line um, on that Charlie Delta corner, starting to put water on it, which is making things a little bit difficult to see just because of the amount of smoke and steam that are now encasing the, the Charlie side. But one of the things that we noted was that the uh, walkout basement door was open. And I looked at operations and I asked, you know, Hey, do you know, you know, who opened that? Um, you know, did somebody come out of there? Did somebody go in? And he was unsure. So immediately, you know, my spidey senses kind of went off and said, Hey, you know, this is either was either used as a path of egress or ingress um, likely uh, because most people don't keep their basement door open. Uh, in December, right? Especially not in Iowa. Um, but one of the other things that we noted was that there was uh, fire in the basement. So I I told operations, hey, we're going to grab a line um, and and take it in with us to search this basement real quick while they're while the engine company is working on trying to get the the fire knocked down on on the first division. Uh, once we we got into the basement, um, it, we made a cr pretty quick knock on what fire was in there. Uh, and it was pretty clear that the fire had not started in the basement. It wasn't um, a fire that had started on the lower level and extended up. Uh, rather, it was from embers that had fallen from the uh, the first division into the basement, into a pile of clothing and just started smoldering and lighting off. 
So we were able to make pretty quick work of search in the basement. Um, we sent one of our uh, guys, so it's a, a crew of three in the basement at this point, myself, uh, and then two lieutenants, uh, sent one of the guys up the stairs uh, to check um, about making a, a path to be able to make the first division um, from that stairwell. However, when he got up to the top of the stairs, the top of the door uh, going from the basement into the kitchen was already burnt through. Um, and there was actually fire licking, uh, from the kitchen into that stairwell. Uh, so he came back and reported to me that, that it was no good. It wasn't going to be a good path unless we were going to push that line up, um, you know, up the stairwell, obviously knowing that we, we would have limited length to work with as well with, um, proximity of the engine to where we, we entered the basement and where the stairwell, uh, fell. So, um, we decided at that point in time, we were going to come out, uh, reconvene uh, on the Charlie side um, and then work on getting up to uh, the Charlie side deck and uh, seeing about making entry from a different point. Okay. So you, you go outside, you kind of reassess what you need to do. What's the next move at that point in time? You got to, there's the engines flowing a two and a half outside. What's, yeah. what's the next yep. move? So, so the engine had um, moved to a, a better position on the deck. They were uh, trying to make a push into the, to the structure. The entire front door um, of the structure, uh, which we found to be the front door later on, um, was, was completely gone. At this point, uh, the front door was gone. Um, the Charlie side uh, uh, roof had, had collapsed in already. Uh, so we make our way around the, the engine company with our inch and three quarter line um, and as we're knocking down fire, we realize that there's a sliding glass door on the uh, Bravo Charlie side of the house. And so our crew uh, ends up taking the, the sliding glass door, knocking it off of its rail. Um, and that's when we made entry into the kitchen. Uh, there was still pretty heavy fire from the living room into the kitchen area. So we began to knock that down. Um, I uh, tied off the hose line um, behind us onto the, the rail of the deck. Uh, and we popped a hole in the ceiling um, in the kitchen, seeing that there was a pr still pretty heavy fire in the attic space. We we began flowing water in there as well, trying to get as much knocked down across the, the kitchen and, and living room area as possible. Once we felt like we had a pretty good knock on it, uh, I looked at my crew and, and you know, said, hey, are you guys good? Let's to finish this, our primary. And, you know, at this point in time, all the information we were given, you know, is nobody's home. Um, you know, they're, they're at this hotel, all this information sounding super concrete. So we're kind of checking the proverbial box of, you know, we, we got to finish our search. We got to get this done. Um, you know, but so, so let's get it done. So at that point we decide to, to abandon the hand line. Um, we do a quick sweep of the kitchen. It was pretty, at this point, um, it's pretty easy to see within the kitchen, uh, just because of the giant hole that the, uh, the fire had made through the roof and the um, the wall on the on the Charlie Delta side. So as we make our way to the bedrooms, we search the the first bedroom, and I would say visibility was moderate. Um, there was uh, pretty low heat. Uh, we started off um, doing kind of an oriented search, but as uh, we continued and the engine crew uh, finished their attack and and uh, had a good knock on the seat of the fire, conditions began to rapidly improve. Uh, so we went from more of an oriented search to a split search where uh, I directed the one firefighter to finish the search of the bedroom. Um, I scanned the bathroom on my way down the hallway with a tick. 
I uh, advised my one firefighter to go in there, search, the, do a quick hands-on search of the bathroom. Um, at that point in time, um, the firefighter that had finished the primary search of the, the last bedroom went to the second and last uh, uh, only other bedroom in the, the house. Um, and we began going in there together. So I began sweeping the, the room with my, my tick from right to left. And about the time that I hit the end of the bed, um, I could make out what looked like a dark shape of, of a leg and a foot. And almost immediately, I heard my uh, my lieutenant yell, victim. Okay, so, and I want to pull this thread, but I want to pull it kind of carefully, but I want to make sure that we highlight some stuff. You guys arrived. What was the timeline before, from when you were dispatched to when either Johnston Grimes got on scene, which was the first engine on scene, or uh, Sailor Township when you guys got on scene? Yeah, so the initial bit dispatch went out at um, at 5.35 a.m. Uh, the first engine on scene, which was Johnson Grimes, uh, was at about 5.45. Um, so 10 minutes, right? Is that right? So Yeah, about 10 minutes. They had about a six and a half mile drive from their station. They, they are staffed with full-time, a full-time engine crew. Um, and then the, for Sailor, we were there about a minute and a half, about a minute to a minute and a half after, um, Johnston Grimes, uh, engine, which our station's about a, a mile and a half from where the, the incident was. However, we were staffing, um, with personnel all from home. Yeah. So it's a, it's a relatively advanced fire. It's so heavy fire. We've had a partial collapse. We have reports from air quotes, credible sources that no one is inside we have no closed doors between the victim and the fire. Is that accurate so far? Yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah, all, all bedroom doors were open. Um, bathroom door was open. Um, the front door had been burned away by the fire by the time we got there. Um, and there was a southwesterly breeze about five to 10 mile an hour that was actually pushing the fire from that point into the and in, in smoke into the house. Okay, so we got no front door. So the front door is gone, a partial collapse. So like from a ventilation profile perspective, we got partial collapse, so fires uh, exiting the attic. We have no front door. We have an open Charlie door on the back side of the house. Plus, in a discussion from earlier, if I remember correctly, you said that the slider was removed at some point in time as well. The, so plenty of yeah. ventilation, no closed doors, heavy fire, reports that everyone's out. There's no chance this lady can survive, right? So you guys have victim. Victim, victim, victim. What happens next? Yeah, so so my my lieutenant yells victim. Um, I immediately uh, yell out to uh, our other uh, member of our search team who is you know finishing up his search in the bathroom. In fact, I think he was making his way down the hallway. Um, I yell victim, victim, victim. Um, the engine crew at this point has has a pretty substantial knock on the fire um, in the living room area. They've made entry. Um, they hear me yell victim and they immediately uh, abandon their line and, and make their way to this bedroom, you know, probably 20 feet away from, from where their current location is. Uh, so I immediately go over um, and meet with, with the Lieutenant and, you know, ask him, Hey, what, what are your needs? Like, what, what do we need over here? And at this point, it's my entire search crew uh, are, are over the victim. Um, the victim is on the floor in between the bed and the, the wall um, on that wall is a window and there's about 18 inches of space right there. Uh, at that point in time, the window has been opened. Uh, my firefighters tell me, hey, window's open. We can take her directly out the window. Um, so I say, hey, what, what do we need right now? 
And they said, we need to get this bed out of the way because there really wasn't a lot of, of space to work. So we immediately lifted the bed. Um, the engine crew that came in, you know, they're asking me what our needs are. And I'm saying, get this bed out of the way, get this bed out of the way. Uh, at this point, the firefighter who initially found her and, and got hands on the victim has repositioned her into a kind of a sitting and slumped position in front of the window. Um, obviously, he's starting to breathe pretty heavy. You know, it's it's a lot of work. Uh, so uh, myself and the other lieutenant um, immediately grabbed the, the victim. Um, I, at this point, I've already radioed out, you know, that we have a victim. I'm asking for a ladder to the window. Um the, uh, you know, thinking in my head, we'll get a VES ladder, uh, you know, just to help with removal of the victim. Um, at this point, we, we lift her, her upper half up to the windowsill. And there's probably at this point, six, um, between firefighters and, uh, deputies outside this window, there's probably six individuals just waiting for us to, to hand the victim out. Uh, so we get her, her, her upper half out the window and kind of rested on the windowsill. We throw her arms out, um, for them to grab a hold of, uh, and then the Lieutenant and I reposition, grab her legs and, and hoist her out of the window. Okay. Um, how big was the victim? I want to insert an Iowa joke right now, but I'm just curious <laughs> how, how big the victim is. Yeah. So I, I would say she's about 170 to 180 pounds. Okay. So Normalish size, nothing crazy. You guys got to lift her up uh, out of the window. Is that difficult? Was that was that relatively easy with with the crew that you guys had? How that how that go? Yeah, you know, um, sitting in front of you today, Nick, I will tell you that the hardest thing that I've ever had to do on the fire ground is is lift a victim out of a window. Um, there, there's so many different variables, you know, between, um, and I hate to use the words dead body weight, but, but that's what it felt like. Uh, I thought for sure, um, given uh, the amount of time it took us to, to reach her, um, you know, the, the amount of fire and heat, uh, that she was exposed to, I, I expected her to, to be deceased. Um, and, and then you, you add in, uh, you know, the, the lack of dexterity in, in our fire gloves and, and the, you know, the gear that we wear. And the fact that, um, you know, her, her entire body has been subjected to heat and soot um, and the breakdown of adipose tissue and everything from that, that radiant heat, uh, it, you know, I, we, we've talked about it before. It's, it's almost like taking a watermelon and, and dousing it in lard or baby oil. You know, it's, it, you just, there's nothing to grab. And every time you try to grab your hands, just want to slip. Um, it was by far the most taxing and physically demanding thing I've ever had to do on the fire ground. And I know that that no one can actually see this, but Joe, you're a pretty fit guy. You go to the gym pretty regularly, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, I try to hit the gym um, at least four times a week. I sit about a buck ninety. Um, you know, I, I I take my my job pretty seriously, uh, in that you know, for for the people we serve and and for my brothers, um, fitness is a pretty top priority for me. Um. Okay, so we get her out the window. What happens with? Her and then also what happens with the rest of uh, with the rest of your crew and the rest of your time inside that structure? How does that go? Yeah, so we immediately get her out, um, and you know I remember uh, all three of us at this point are are in the tripod position, taking a knee, catching our breath, and I remember saying to my guys, "All right, guys, it's okay to take a tactical pause, catch your breath. You know, this is this is tough work, but we also know that." there's a, there's a high probability that if we find one victim, we're going to find another, we, we need to search this room and we need to do a very thorough search of this room. You know, all of us had seen um, in the initial bedroom that we searched uh, a child's desk, all these, these, you know, 
trucks and toys and and what have you. So we knew that if we're pulling a young, you know, a young woman out of this this fire, and and you could tell as we as we lifted her out the window that it, that it was a young female. We knew that uh, you know that there was a high probability that there could be someone else um, in that in that room with her. So you know, I remember just telling the guys, we have to we have to do a thorough search of this room and 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 make sure we're double checking everything. Okay, so you guys search the rest of the building, uh, of rest of the first floor. Any anything else that you guys found? So we end up searching um, the rest of that room. At this point, our, our low air alarms start going off. Um, I requested a secondary crew um, from command, which he had somebody in there right away. Um, you know, he was already sending the available resources. About the time that we um, uh, that we found the victim, we'd actually had uh, a second alarm had been called while we were initially searching the basement. So by the time we found the victim, the, the second alarm crews from multiple full-time departments were showing up. Um, kind of in droves um, with with plenty of personnel. So at this this point in time, we had gone from uh, you know having really kind of a limited limited personnel at the fire scene to being saturated with with um, quite a few firefighters and and different resources. Okay. And how about how did the rest of the night go for the uh, for the victim? Yeah. So um, you know, I the the best I can recall, and obviously my my adrenaline was pretty pretty hyped up here. Uh, you know, we, I remember coming out, um, and telling command, Hey, I'm going to, you know, come and do a face to face with you as soon as this crew comes in and, and swaps us out. And, uh, you know, I remember going up to, to command and taking my helmet off and just kind of tossing it on the ground and leaning over, still trying to catch my breath. And, and he kind of looked at me and he could tell that I was, I was visibly, you know, shaken or upset. And, and he asked me, you know, what was wrong? And I, just shook my head and I said, you know, we should have got to her faster. We should have, we should have found her faster, you know, and, and all these things that, you know, I'm thinking we could have, we could have done differently. Um, and, you know, he, he proceeds to tell me that she's alive and, and, you know, had began, begun fighting against the crew who, who had started performing CPR on her, um, when she got to the ambulance. Um, so, you know, that was, that was something that, that I recall as, as, uh, being certainly uh, eye-opening for me. Um, she's actually made a full recovery today. I got to meet her earlier this year um, and her son. Uh, so yeah, she's doing great. She had some burns to her left leg um, and uh, she's she's had some surgeries, you know, to, to fix that. But otherwise, um, some smoke inhalation uh, injuries that she she was able to get over within a couple months. Um, you said burn on her leg. Why, why was her leg burned? Was that so with with the where the the door was to her bedroom and, and the bedroom door as I said earlier was was in the open position when we got there uh, she was laying on the floor um, when we found her and that part of her leg was actually the only part of her body that was not blocked between the the bed um, and that and that door uh, that leg had stuck out past the end of the bed and so I imagine just from the convective heats and, and the radiant heat um, had caused the burn on on her leg. So that's the leg that you saw when your when your firefighter said victim, 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 or the guy that you were with, right? Correct. Yep. Um, uh, I want to start landing this plane, but two more things I want to make sure that we pull out or that I at least ask. Uh, basement door was was open. Do we know who who opened that door? So, um, you know, later on, uh, after being able to ask more questions after the incident, um, kind of calmed down a little bit. Uh, it turns out that it, it sounds like it was a neighbor, possibly the reporting party, 
um, who had opened it, tried to yell in to see if they could get the attention of the homeowner, um, not okay. knowing whether home um, at that point is when the, the door was left open. Um, so it was not used as a path of egress or ingress, um, more just to, to try to get the attention of whether or not anyone was home. Um, uh, and, and an interesting fact as well um, that we learned later on after looking through all the, the notes from um, dispatch and everything was it was uh, about three minutes after the, um, the victim was removed uh, from the house that they actually reported that they were un unable to get a hold of the victim at the hotel that she was supposed to be staying at. Um, it was about 27 minutes from the first engine's arrival uh, to the time that we actually found the victim. And it took us about a minute and 39 seconds to remove the victim. Um, once that initial radio traffic was, was made to command that we had the victim and that she actually made, um, her way out the window. Okay. And then you got a chance to meet her. You said a couple months later in February of this year, uh, was that powerful for, for you? I imagine that's, that's pretty intense. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, the, probably the most impactful thing, um, I've ever heard from, from anyone, uh, as, as far as with my career in the fire service was, um, as she had her arms around her son and she's talking to us and she said, you know, thank you for allowing me to be his mother. Um, you know, that, uh, is something that will always stick with me. Um, yeah. That hits home. Huh? Yeah. There, and you know, there were so many lessons learned, um, on this, this fire that, that I take away. Um, it, it's honestly incredible. Well, let's, let's pull that thread too. Uh, as, as we're landing this thing, what, what's a lesson or two or three that, that you, that you remember from this fire or that you've passed along to others? Yeah. You know, I think the most important thing is expect fire, expect victims. You know, this is something that we preach at my full-time job. Um, you know, it, it hangs in our apparatus, uh, it hangs on uh, above the door uh, as you exit uh, to the apparatus bay. And it's something that I myself have taught many recruits. Um, and if I'm being honest with you, Nick, that morning hearing that the homeowner was supposed to be at a nearby hotel and and, you know, hearing all of this, this information from dispatch that sounded so concrete, I, I admittedly let my guard down. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, earlier, in some ways I was kind of checking the proverbial boxes of, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my primary because that's what I have to do because we are, you know, we have this, this search culture, um, at my full-time job of, you know, we, we, we search, we, we make sure that the structure is empty and that's what I was doing. I was making sure that the structure was, was, you know, was empty. And, you know, we knew we needed to finish our primary, but um, with all the incoming information, it just, it just seemed, it seemed like, you know, we were, we were just checking those boxes. So when we found the victim, part of me um, was surprised and, and I shouldn't have been, I should have expected it. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, luckily she's, she survived and she's able to tell her story. Uh, but I can tell you, I'll never make that mistake again. And at the end of the day, Nick, I'm I'm really hopeful that my experience can change the way that that firefighters disseminate uh, not only dispatch information, but the information that they they hear, the updates that they're hearing, um, and that they can learn from my mistakes um, and and not allow themselves to put their guard down and to always remember that a building's not clear until we say it's clear, and and to always expect fire and always to expect victims. Yeah, I appreciate your your humbleness and, and willing to to be as honest with our our listeners as you possibly can. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. 
and, and you kind of touched on this. I just want to see if there's anything else. I have one more question kind of written down and it's, it's along these same lines kind of, but has this fire changed your mindset towards the job at all? Maybe how you train, how you search, anything else, or is this just more of kind of reinforced what you already believed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, I would say um, even more so now I have that, that, that victim and rescue mindset. Um, I'm also much more uh, cognizant of the accuracy of information um, that I receive. It, it's kind of like the old adage, you know, trust, but verify. It's okay to trust information, but, but, you know, you have to verify and, and you do the job uh, as if that information um, is as good as the paper it's written on. Right. Um, and at that point in time, you know, that, that information could be coming from multiple parties um, going through multiple dispatchers. So it's easy for that information uh, you know, to, to be changed. And it's kind of like the game of telephone, uh, by the time it gets to the end, it's, it's completely different than what was in, initially given. That's um, a really good point. Yeah. From a search standpoint, um, you know, I, I think I find myself less and less with, through all aspects of firefighting, doing less box checking and being more thorough. Um, you know, I think it's important to move with a purpose and have a game plan, especially when it comes to search. Um, you know, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's changed my, my mindset, certainly for the better. Um, and, and hopefully my experience, uh, you know, I was, I was apprehensive when, when I was asked to do this podcast or asked if I'd be interested in sharing my story because of the number of mistakes that, that I feel, you know, we either made or things that we could have done better, but we only get better, um, through either our experiences or, or other people's experiences. So I think it's, it's important to to share those stories and make sure that that my experience um, helps guide and shape uh, other firefighters to not maybe make the same mistakes that I did. And, and like I said, this this situation um, certainly was a uh, you know there was a positive outcome which we we are super thankful for. Yeah, that's very powerful what you just said right there. So so well said right there. Um, Joe, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. We really appreciate your time and your authenticity. For everyone listening, if you or anyone else you know makes a grab, please go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com and fill out a quick survey so that we can all get smarter, better, and faster, as Joe was just alluding to. And if you make a grab and want to share your experience with our listeners, just reach out to either Grant Schwalbe, Justin McWilliams, or myself, Nick Ladine, and we'll try to record an episode. Lastly, thank you to everyone listening to this. Take care. And uh, Nick, if I can real quick, yep. um, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, my buddy, uh, Firefighter Owen from Des Moines Fire Department and 2nd uh, Division. They made two grabs last night. So way to go, guys. All right. Strong work, Des Moines.